Hello, peoples, and welcome to another edition of the Robcast. We are here in the back house with somewhat longtime friend Scott Harrison. Hey, man. Who is here from the great city of New York. Welcome to the... You haven't been to the back house before. I haven't. I, I lo- I'm loving it. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. Scott Harrison is founder, CEO, now author, but founder and CEO of Charity Water. Um, and there's so many places I could start, and we're going to work our way towards the, the book, spring. We've got a bunch of things we're going to talk about at some point at the end of this episode. We first met, right, when I projected on the wall of your house <laughs> yes. in, uh, in Michigan. In 2000, early 2009. You, I remember you had a white brick wall. Yeah. I was a little upset because my images were slightly distorted against your brick, being and, a purist. But, yes. you know, I'm like, this isn't, you know, Rob's not getting the best experience I could give with the photos. And we were, we were moved, in your living room. We were moved beyond measure anyway. Okay, so for my, fr- for my Robcast friends who ha- aren't familiar with your work, let, let's start back here. Charity Water started 2006. 2006, yep. How much, I was thinking the best way to open this up would be to say, how much money have you raised in, since 2006? About $320 million. You've raised $320 million all for the purpose of? Yeah, I mean, for, to bring clean and safe drinking water now to 8.4 million people. 8.4 million people. When you look, so we're 12 years in to, to Charity Water. Yeah, I thought it'd be more, honestly. What does that say about you? I kind of can see the end. You know, when I started, I could see the day when everybody would have clean water to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really started at the end. And <clears throat> and that's how many know, people in the world? 600 million? Uh, there's 660 million people that need clean water. So we've got about 178th of the current problem solved. About 1.3%. And you live with these numbers every day. I do. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic. You know, I, I tend to fall uh, towards optimism. So I would, the number that I'm focused on is this year... Um, we're going to help about 3,800 people, new people, get clean water every day. So today, you know, morning, go through the day, go to sleep. By the time I wake up tomorrow morning, uh, another 3,800 people have clean water for the first time in their life. We'll get about a million and a half people water this year. Okay, I just spent two days reading your new book, which is sort of your story. In many ways, it's a memoir that also happens to be sort of the founding of Charity Water. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully some useful tips and tricks for, oh, for people starting things. It's a, <clears throat> it's an astonishing book. Um, so I feel like I've been in your head or your your space for the past couple of days. Let's go way back. Um, and the first time I heard you speak and you talked about what happened with your mom, mm-hmm. I found myself looping together. You're driven... And this, uh, getting everybody who needs access to clean water, were you always driven? Would whatever you did, did you push it? I did push it. Um, You know, I was initially driven to be a doctor because I wanted to help sick people like my mom and then also help my mom specifically. Um, You know, it's interesting, Rob. I was driven and not. And then I was a terrible student. You know, I barely graduated high school. So the, I guess the things that I really wanted, I, I tended to go after, mm-hmm. um, but, but it didn't apply to all areas of my life. Um, I was a, you know, it was a, even when I went to NYU, I kind of limped through college and, you know, C minuses, and I went to the, the minimum amount of classes that I thought I would need to just not to fail. Uh, but other things, you know, when it came to, I don't know, clubs or even, I remember having a leaf blowing business as a kid. I really liked <laughs> blowing leaves and I was trying to get as many leaf blowing clients as possible to pay off the loan on my, you know, $700 leaf blower. So there, there would be these things that I would go really hard after and others uh, that I, I might almost surprise myself at how lame I was at them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's pause here. Now that you have two young kids, yeah, your how will you raise your kids if, let's say, one of your kids is slacking off or doesn't particularly take a shine to academics? You know, for my wife and I, academics were never a huge part of our lives or our 
um, professional formation. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm... You said that so tactfully. I'm, I'm surrounded by families often who are pushing their kids to get only the best grades and the studying matters. And uh, I think reading really matters to me. I would I would attribute the fact that as a kid, my parents put a television in a cold room in the winter. They wouldn't heat that room. There were no chairs next to the TV, and I would have to sit on this firm bed, you know, <laughs> looking down at this tiny little TV. So because that was such a terrible experience, I read you know, voraciously. Uh, so that's, I think, I, I care about reading, but the academics, the grades, neither my wife or I you know, would have attributed that to our, you know, eventual professional, you know, success of some sort. Um, she wound up becoming an amazing designer and animator and, and you know, is an incredible artist, uh, but not because she studied really hard. And maybe because she studied the world or maybe because she had real life experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because I want everybody to read your book, so i got to think about what to ask you that doesn't just give away different pieces of the book. So you start Charity Water 2006. You're, I want to say, 31, 30, Yeah, it's my 31st birthday party. Um, and there's a whole <coughs> and backstory, this is the to, the backstory that, to the backstory to that. But This is a theme that somehow I want to tease out because I've just started, it's just started dawning on me that there is this party theme in my life. Absolutely. You know, and... and uh, it started with a party. So for, for 10 years previously, I had been throwing uh, really decadent hedonistic parties at, at 40 nightclubs in New York over that period of time. And, you know, the drinking, the drugging, the sex, the gambling, the pornography, the strip clubs, the the whole, you know, what you might imagine in a Studio 54 leftover culture. And uh, the dinner at 10 p.m., the club at 12, the after hours at 5, the stumble home at noon, uh, there's, there's a scene I write about in the book, right? I remember taking a, a duvet, you know, at somebody's house and trying to blot out the sunlight. Like duct tape. Duct the tape to the, the, wall, the duvet, windows. you know, the comforter. And in that moment, also getting a glimpse out the window on Houston Street in New York, uh, on, on everyday people in suits just going about their lunchtime business. Yoga. Yeah, it just felt like, what a degenerate I am. I got to take an Ambien to come down. Like, who goes mm -hmm. to bed at noon, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, unless you're a surgeon and you have to, or, or someone working in, you know, a night shift. So the, I think it was really important uh, starting Charity Water off with the party and trying to say, hey, all the parties that I threw to no good end, uh, you know, arguably um, a thousand parties over that decade, could I take what I've learned and could I actually throw a party that matters? You know, can I, can I, can I turn this? Can I redeem this? And what was great about that night was 100% of the money that we raised, it was 15 bucks. Uh, or, sorry, everybody, everybody came in and paid 20 bucks at the door, which at the time was what it cost us to give one person clean water. So we raised $15,000. Um, on an aside, I, I remember that night that a drug dealer came to the party and put 500 bucks in the bin and said to me that this was the first charitable first gift he'd ever made in his life. And I remember just thinking, we're on to something. Yeah. You know, we are on to something. This is different. This is what I'm excited about. I'm not trying to go and get people who are already in the flow of giving. I'm not trying to go poach World Vision's donors or, you know, save the children's donors. I want, not, not drug dealers necessarily, <laughs> but, you know, I want to create an atmosphere where people can retrust, can... Yeah, that where the skeptic and the cynic can say, this feels different, this looks different, I'm willing to give this a shot. And and we wound up raising $15,000 that night in a nightclub, taking all of the money immediately to a refugee camp in Uganda, doing a few projects, and then sending the photos and the GPS coordinates back to the people who came, saying, look, you did this. You probably didn't think anything good would happen. You came, you had some drinks, but here's what you actually did. Here and it blew people, people's minds. It blew people's mind. And they said, how do, we, how do we do more? When's the next event? How do we give more? Now, you were very straightforward. I, um, and when I first met you, you were like, oh, we're, we're uh, reinventing charity. You were like very straightforward about charity needs to be reinvented. Mm -hmm. Did I get in trouble for this sometimes. That's what I wanted to ask about. Did you, was anybody else talking like this? You didn't even come out of charity world, so you wouldn't Well, have I wouldn't had... have really known. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I didn't know any people that worked at charities, and 
you know, in, in on at, at the at the founding moment, in so many ways, I was uniquely unqualified to ever start any sort of nonprofit that would have an impact. No experience, just no giving experience, no working in a charity experience. And I think in some ways that, you know, later I look back and say, well, that made me uniquely qualified because I was just talking to everyday people yeah. who weren't giving and I was trying to solve their problems. What, yeah, hey, Rob, what would make you give? A charity where you could see where your money would go, a charity where you knew where it all went, you know, a charity that, that maybe looked and felt like a brand you respected instead of the, the leftovers from, you know, the old Sally Struthers TV commercials or the, you know, the guilt and shame base. Yeah. So it was just starting with a, you know, we were just talking about this a minute ago, starting with a clean sheet of paper and getting to make up all the rules. And, you know, what would the perfect charitable experience look like? What would get me excited about giving? What would get my friends excited about giving? And we started to just do a bunch of things, which actually, so many of them just sound like common sense. Yes, right. Right? Tell right. people what you're right. doing with their money. Show them the impact. Build a beautiful, inspiring, imaginative brand. Work with local partners. I mean, these were not, yes. this is not like rocket science. It's not like, you know, yes. we invented the electric car or anything. I yeah. swear in the past couple of years i have not done a q a where somebody didn't ask about they had some sense in their town their city of people need x or people i people need a place called y where they mm -hmm. can come how do i do it how do i and i always just say what is the thing that you would want to go to mm -hmm. what is the thing that if somebody else did it you'd be like i could have done that mm -hmm. um that it's all probably residing within you the guidance, the intuition, the North Star, whatever, the path. A, a friend of ours, uh, you know, Michael Birch and his wife Sochi in San Francisco, they they thought San Francisco nightlife was boring. They were from, Michael's from Britain. He's like, I'm just going to do a cool club like the ones I used to go to in London. And, you know, pretty soon there's 4,000 members. <laughs> Right, so he just he just designed the thing that he wanted to go to dinner and have drinks at, and the atmosphere, and then you know there's a there's a long waiting list to get in. It's years to get into the thing. Um, so you, I, I'm a big fan. Like people should they should do more of that. So you had this sense, a hundred percent, every single penny of the money people give should go straight to the projects, and then a, a completely separate fund for all the administrative costs. That that seems to be like one of the first sort of central to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And we get criticized for that. So the cri the critic of the the critique of the 100% model is well charity water actually has overhead. And we're like, "Yep, we do." And we're it's it's really hard, but we're only asking 130 families at the moment to pay for that. And that then allows us to go give now a million people the purest giving, you know, the drop the mic every whether it's actually a penny that someone sends or a million dollars experience. So, you know, the, the, the critic is like, well, they're just, they're making it harder for all the rest of us because we all have overhead and, you know, we didn't separate our bank accounts. And, you know, I've been saying for years, I, I talk people out of this model. <laughs> I mean, I would never let a social entrepreneur, I mean, it's incredibly hard. You have to, you have to do double the work. I mean, imagine running you know the overhead account and the water account and running this in perfect balance all the time I mean, it's incredibly challenging but it was unique to the problem we were trying to solve what i was hearing was that people weren't going they were not giving because they didn't know where the money was going so he said well we can just take this objection completely off the table yeah by this business model and it was right for us i remember uh i remember the the first time we met and you told me that that year Charity Water had paid, I want to say, $35,000 in credit card fees. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're serious. That's serious. Add, add at least a zero now. No way. So somebody gives money to Charity Water, 100% of that money goes to actually drill a well and get people water who needs it, who need it. But then the credit card fee is paid in the well, the, the administrative thing. Yeah. And that's now in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, I think it's three fifty. <laughs> I think it's actually three fifty. I think it's actually adding a zero. <laughs> so if someone gives a hundred bucks online on their Amex, um, I wish that I got a hundred dollars, but we get ninety seven. And you could argue that no donor would ever expect us to give more than ninety seven. Right? That's what we got of their money. Yeah. They use their card. They got the points. 
Amex took their 3% cut, we get 97. But we said, well, you can't say 100% unless it's really 100%. Yeah. I mean, you have to double down on these on uh, you know, on these truth claims. Truth, honesty, integrity, like it so, has to be airtight. So for me, you know, rather than explain to a donor why I'm reporting on $97, because the donor thought they gave 100, they never thought of like the 3% yeah. you know, credit card fee. We just said, look, it's worth it for us to go and ask our 130 overhead donors to make up that 3% difference and then communicate the $100 proof to the donor. You know, rather yeah. than, and so, and, and 100% means 100%. And we get to say that. And okay. it's pretty cool. To, it's like from the get-go, and this is where I think, there's so many times in in being a part and watching Charity Water, you you set out to do it a different way because you know it needs to be done a different way. There's a built-in difficulty to it that you just take on the chin over and over because it's like it's central to the thing. Yeah, and it, it gets is only a hill worth dying on. It really gets harder, and people ask all the time, "Do you really think at this kind of scale?" It's sustainable. You know, it's one thing to go raise a million dollars in overhead a year. Yeah. It's another to raise 14 and a half a year. It's another to raise 17 a year as the organization scales. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, it's just, it's harder. It, it actually gets harder, not easier. But we are really committed to this model, to the idea that there are two bank accounts, they're audited separately. And my, my real belief is not that a charity needs the 100% model to be successful. My, my belief is that people simply want to know exactly where their money's going when they give, and they are open to a lot of value propositions. If I told your listeners that my biggest problem right now was that my copy machine at the office was broken and I needed 700 bucks to fix it, People would love to pay $700 to repair the copy machine. I mean, people want to meet needs. You know, what we've told those 130 families is that the staff salaries and the office rent and our flights around the world to manage projects in 26 countries, these are essential, valuable needs. And people raise their hand and say, cool, I don't need my name on a well. I want to pay for the receptionist's salary. I want to pay for the auditor's salary. I want to pay for the accountant's salary. I want to pay for that hydrologist's salary. So it's, it's, it's less about the 100%. I think it's just the clarity that is, has been missing from the sector. And I think you, know, you, could, you could extrapolate that to a lot of sectors, I think. So we're trying yeah. to provide just the, the, the precise clarity that you know. And... The last thing, that's what I also love about water. Because if I was, I'm such a black and white person, um, water is really easy for me. Because let's say I was was in the education um, space, and let's say I was building schools in Africa, and we were sitting here, you know, on your couch, and you're saying, well, Scott, that's great that you're building those schools, but what about the quality of the education? Okay, how good are those teachers? What about the ideology right. in these countries, right? Are they, are they learning a worldview that aligns with mine, right? And, and the answer to all those would be very subjective. Water is cleaner, it's dirty. It, yeah. is, it is actually binary. I can go to your tap right now and test, is you know, the Bell family water clean or dirty? You just did it, right? And, and so it's clean or it's dirty, right? It's safe or it's unsafe. And I just think it's a universal good. So you don't have to be that smart. You don't have to, you know, when you take someone from drinking dirty, unsafe water and you move them to clean water, you know that you've done something good. You know that you've improved their lives. You know that you have made the world better, healthier, happier. Um, you know, it's, it's a great thing about my work. You know, I, I never come off stage and have people tell me to stop it. You know, it's not like, <laughs> Scott, let them die of bad water. Let the children walk seven hours a day. You know, this is dead aid. This is harmful aid. You know, <laughs> stop it. This is just destructive work. Right. I mean, no one, no one does that. There's no other side. There's no other side. Like, oh, water, that's overrated. You know, There's and no it, and other it, side. And what's been great is especially, you know, I think so much of our growth these days is coming from this toxic climate, like this caustic time that we live in where people are so angry and it seems that nobody can agree on anything. 
And with water, everybody agrees. Republicans, Democrats, independents, Jews, Christians, Muslims. You know, uh, as you know, my, my, our biggest donor has given over $15 million. He's an atheist. Thinks that God is a figment of my imagination. He thinks I'm completely Looney Tunes for believing in God, Jesus, anything even in that realm. Yeah. But he can stand for clean water. And he's come with me to 11 countries now to see the impact yeah. you know, of his family. So it's a really big tent that we get to create. And, you know, on a personal level, I've, I've been able to live out my faith through this work for 12 years, but not make that exclusive. I mean, you know, the thought that somebody would have to do what I do on a Sunday to work at the organization or to give to the organization or to volunteer. I mean, that's just such a crazy thought. And by the way, a lot of that still exists, right? And, you know, in our, in our world, there are a lot of charities that are you know, they so tie the religious mission with the oh. humanitarian mission that it gets a little gray. It's like, kiss the cross, and then we'll give you that thing yeah, that we're right. raising the money for. As it's opposed like, to these are human beings. There's an emergency here. We help human beings. As opposed to let's just yes. help make sure everybody has water and food and shelter. And, and sure, uh, you could tell them why you're doing it. You could tell them what this, uh, what this is birthed out of. You know, you can, anybody can share their motivation or their faith, but it doesn't need to be done with strings attached. It doesn't need to be done, you know, with any sort of agenda. I remember speaking um, at, a, at a very conservative conference once and, you know, a, <clears throat> a guy comes up to me and yeah, this was a, a group of, of Christians and he was a, a very wealthy home builder. And he said, um, so, you know, you, you kind of given him the, the gospel, you know, is, is, is the word of the Lord going out with the wells? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> and he said, well, um, you know, are you building wells for them, you know, for the people of faith? Like you're building the wells for the Christians. And I'm like, if they happen to be, I mean, we wouldn't know, you know, there's no selection. And, uh, you know, and he was, he, he really seemed kind of upset by, by my answers. And I said, well, dude, do you only build homes for Christians? He's like, well, of course not. And I said, well, then, then certainly every contractor that works for you, right? Everybody that's putting a nail into those homes is, is a Christian, right? They do what you do on a Sunday. He's like, no. I'm like, well, then why should I? Like, why, you know, why you don't hold yourself to the same standards? So, so my aid has to be attached to, you know, an agenda, but you can just, Go build all the homes you want. By all, I'm like, do you care about excellence? Yeah. I'm like, do you want your homes to fall down on people? Regardless of what they, well, of course you don't. <laughs> so, you know, I think from, from day one, that was just so freeing that I realized, wow, I can live out my belief system. I can live out my, um, my, my personal faith. Like in, in, in the kingdom of God that I imagine, no one has bad water. Right? Dirty water is illegal. Yep. Nobody's walking eight hours. No woman is holding a child dying of diarrhea in her arms. So I want to make that possible for everyone, everyone yeah. on the planet. Um, I, I, and oftentimes at the charity water things I've been to, you talk about it's not just the water, it's the hours that are spent getting mm -hmm. the water and what the hours could be used for. It's, the, it's like the infrastructure of society is connected mm -hmm. with water. We're doubling down on this year. This year's gala is called The Gift of Time. So oh, we're nice. actually tracking the hours now that we are, that the clean water is saving. So we're going into these villages and we're measuring the time women are wasting walking to these faraway sources. And then we're now quantifying the actual time saved. It's in the hundreds of millions of hours. It's, it's lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes of hours. Um, you know, the, the, the headline stat, uh, when we, at least years ago, it hasn't been updated, but uh, 40 billion hours are wasted by women just walking for water in Africa. And that adds up to the entire global workforce of every human being in the country of France working, which you could argue is slightly ironic, but yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of, it's, it's a, a lot of hours. It's yeah. a huge unrealized economy that when you can free up time through, through bringing clean water closer to the villages, you have this explosion of productivity. Women start small businesses. They become entrepreneurs. They sell rice at the market. They sell peanuts. They sell rugs. They spend more time with their children. You know, they, they, they get this, they reclaim this time. 
So that's the beauty of water. Water isn't just health. It's not just education. You know, it's, it's, it's wealth. It's wealth through the restoration of time and time turned into productivity and, and money. Okay, now let's talk about part of, part of reading the book. The book is called Thirst, by the way, Robcast friends. Thirst, out now from Scott Harrison. Um, it's memoir. It's the origin story of this organization, but it also takes us into, you've been at this 12 years. How, because everybody has ideas, everybody wants to change the world, everybody has, there's needs all around us. How do you still care? If somebody, if the question is asked to you, how do you still care? How are you still passionate after 12 years? Because so many things, seven years and, and we're out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or whatever the life cycle is of startups. Um, and, and, and it's a graveyard of people who had great ideas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm sure you see it all the time. And especially in the, in the world, startup, nonprofit, humanitarian work, water. I'm sure you even have people coming to you all the time with like, how do I do this? What do you say to people um, who have that wonderful stars in their eyes? I'm going to go change things. You know what I mean? And they're filled with all of that, I would call it new fuel, which is when everything's new. But you're now 12 years in, so there's a whole nother layer of wisdom, um, which is one of the powerful things to me about the book, is you've already been like, I don't want to do this. I just walk away. I'm burned out. But you're still here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What, it, what, did, well, the, you, what have you, you learned? You mentioned the new in there. There is a part of that that's really important for me, uh, is keeping it new, finding new ways to tell the story. Uh, finding new ways to use the technology and to innovate. And so, you know, VR kept me really excited for a year. And that was four years ago. You know, when I saw I was virtual at that, reality. At that, that dinner, the gay level. Yeah, the, you're, you're at that dinner, right? And the headsets. Oh my word, I was so moving. Yeah, but just, you know, I, I saw a VR film of, you know, somebody showing off a hotel room and then someone else had put a, a camera in a refugee camp. And I just. I was so excited, like my mind was exploding with ideas of how we were going to use this budding technology to intravenously deliver uh, redemptive, empathetic content into our supporters' you know, bodies and then move them in a way that they hadn't been moved before and then turn that empathy into action and help a lot of people get clean water. So I just kind of saw it and and I jumped straight to the end. So when I first saw the film, I imagined our gala with 400 people in black tie having dinner in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I imagined dinner finishing and hundreds of volunteers coming out carrying trays with virtual reality devices like they were dessert, strapping them all on all 400 people, pressing play in synchronicity and then taking everyone to Ethiopia for an eight-minute journey over six days, bringing them back. I imagined mascara you know, running down people's eyes. I imagined them being deeply moved. And then I, I imagined asking them for money and just say, give what's in your heart. <laughs> You've seen the power of clean water. And, and that actually happened. And there were a lot of obstacles along the way. And it was, it was one of these things that I heard. If I heard, if I heard no a hundred times, it would have been under, understated. We, we could never do this. We couldn't pull it off, couldn't get the technology, couldn't get the headsets. And there was a moment where, you know, you were there in the room and we raised, I think, 2.6 million bucks and helped 260 villages get clean water, you know, and, in that moment. And, and uh, my friends, the film was of a village, What's it, what it's like for a village doesn't have access to clean water, getting a well dug, and then water explodes up out of the ground, and they have water. And I remember, forget, the film ended, and people start taking off their headsets. And like I was like just full-on weepy. And Kristen has like tears streaming down her face. Um, and at our table, Depeche Mode at our table, <laughs> everybody's just like trying to hold it together because it's so moving. And then... I don't know if you remember this, people like started sort of clapping and then more clapping. Yeah. And then as people are taking off their masks, it's like silence. And then it just builds to this like ovation. I mean, you've had a number of these. Yeah. At the, it's just, just beyond words. It's beyond so words. That keeps, so, so that sense of new, you know, this year, uh, the next year I was really excited about um, a live satellite connection and connecting people um, 
you know, I'm excited about augmented reality now. Uh, the, the gala concept this year is completely new. It's something we've never done before. All these things could fail. So they're high stakes with all of these, which I think, you know, keeps the, uh, the adrenaline flowing. But, but the, the goal, see, when you're, so the mission is to bring clean drinking water to everyone on the planet. Okay, so that's pretty clear. You know you've succeeded in your mission if no one is drinking dirty water. Currently, 663 million people, or one-tenth of the planet, you know, away from mission. <clears throat> but when your vision, if the bigger thing that you're doing is to reinvent giving or reimagine charity, that has no end. Right. I mean, what does that look like, right? Charity means love and and. You know, for me, there's so many just words floating around, empathy, compassion, radical generosity, moving people from, you know, skeptics and cynics to, to generous givers, this virtuous cycle of redemptive care for others. And, uh, you know, you're just always looking for new ways to test and to try and to invite people into it. And that's the party that is constantly going. That's like the club that is 24-7. And, you know, people are just coming. Some people are coming at eight in the morning. Some people are coming at eight at night. Some people are coming at two in the morning. And they're coming into to this party to deposit something of themselves, hopefully the best of themselves, right? Their most generous self, their most um, compassionate. They're, they're leaving something for others. And then we're the guide, like we're the steward of that gift. And we just need to make sure that it helps people um, in the most impactful way, in the most sustainable way, and that the money we raise, the, you know, the, the kids that are out there. I mean, Rob, I can't tell you the stories. We just had a, a six-year-old girl watch one of our videos online, goes upstairs to her bedroom, and she starts debating before she goes to sleep, should I keep my allowance, should I give it? Should I keep my allowance, should I give it? Comes down the next morning, drops $8.15, on the table, on the kitchen table, tells her mom she wants to send it to Charity Water. She writes us a note. She draws a picture of herself standing to what she, next to what she thinks a well looks like with clean water coming out. And she says, Dear Charity Water, please take my $8.15. I want children to stop dying of bad water. So imagine opening that envelope, right? You feel a deep responsibility. Now, $8.15 isn't that much money to us. Right? It's a couple coffees, but you feel such a deep sense of responsibility to innovate, to steward that gift, to make sure that the system you're mm -hmm. building, the, you know, that it's, it's helping as many people as possible. So there's all this stuff that's really hard and really complex that keeps me energized in year, in year 12. Well, uh, and then I get to see the people we serve. So I make sure that I'm back and forth at least a few times a year yeah. in the actual villages both continuing to see the need, right? Continuing to see what a tenth of the world is living like and the problems that we're trying to solve and just take that in and internalize, um, you know, come back from a trip having talked to a woman who lost eight children and, and knowing that my role is to give her a voice, you know, and to, to stand on stage and tell her story and hope that it moves mothers and fathers in the audience to say, we want her kids to live. We want more you know, kids to live. And then getting to see water shooting out of the ground and people dancing and clapping and screaming and, and, and village elders talking about, you know, the, the moment before the water and after the water and just this, you know, like, it's like the, the sky was, you know, rent and, and water. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, before water and after water becomes the way these villages mark time. Yeah, many of them. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. I also... Uh, the Meda M E D A Meda yeah Meda. I think I might have told that story when we were on the last time. That village that I don't that I remember lived in. you talking about. They can't get a rig there yet. In Meda, they can't. Um, well, they drilled. Uh, there were five failed attempts because uh, because it's up on a plateau. Hi. The water's just too far down. So that's that's been another challenge. You know, they're not. We can't help. Everyone. So you um, go to a village. This is the village where the where the thirteen year old girl hung herself. Yep. Because she dropped water. the water pot and cracked it. She kills herself. You go sort of track down where it happened and. But in the story, as you tell in the book, 
there's no road yet. There isn't yeah, enough no infrastructure yet. How do you bear that? Having seen that village that yeah, used to water. Yeah, and live there. I mean, I lived there for a week. Um, I, I think about it. You know, I think about it often. And, you know, we'll check in from time to time. Hey, what's the progress on the road? And, um, you know, I think what happened there is there would have been, there would have been about a $500,000 solution to pipe water from kilometers away. But even if we had the money, because, you know, if, if you just looked at it, you'd say, no, go do 50 wells. Never spend $500,000 on a project. But even... Yeah, my, my brain would tend to say, look, let me go and find someone to just fund that because it's worth it. And I realize it's really expensive, but it's worth it. The problem is we didn't believe it would be sustainable. So I really believed um, it, it was going to be such an elaborate system with pipes and just, you know, I can imagine us actually doing the one of the most expensive systems we've ever done, spend half a million dollars to get water to 3,000 people and then it breaking and uh -huh. just having serious maintenance issues. So we're, we're in a little bit of a waiting game with that and, and it's it, it's it's hard the people you can't help i mean there's uh, there have been wells that are nine out of ten wells that were able to drill fine water and one out of ten don't and often you're able to re-drill in that same area and and get water but there are some villages that you're leaving behind for the others that are much more uh, where it's easy to help where you yeah. know you can deploy the capital and and get results do you like you're somewhere, there's a multiple villages, some of them literally too far from the road or can't get them water. And then 18, 30 hours later, you're home with Vic and the kids. Or even crazier, heat. staying in a $30 million house in Europe, you know, that belongs to a major donor or something. I mean, the extremes are, <laughs> are extreme sometimes. From New York City to like third world, there aren't roads, water, schools electricity sometimes how does your psyche and you're now many years into this traveling between these two extremes mm -hmm. of the planet i think my former life helped me with that you know living living a life of fashion weeks and you know designer clothes and just just in in a culture of this is normative for a whole lot of people they spend their money like this they value these things I think it's allowed me to to just not judge. Uh, when I come back from Ethiopia, staying in a five dollar night hotel room, and you know I'm I'm hosted by a donor in a you know in, a, in an extraordinary mansion, I'm not walking around that mansion saying, "Oh, I can't believe they spent so much money on this." Oh, I can't believe that they have nine bathrooms. Oh, I can't believe. I'm just telling them what I saw. I'm yeah. just so excited about telling the stories fresh yeah. off the trip with no judgment, with no chip on my shoulder. And that's just come natural. I don't know how um, the chip, the, the chip when I see other people kind of angry and, and bitter, why don't people get it? Why aren't they giving more? Yeah, that was my right? question. Like, just, oh my gosh, how could you have 14 cars? Right? I just don't really go there. I'm, I'm so interested in wooing that family to get excited about our work, to get excited about how their money could be used to save lives, to, you know, to win them over, to invite them, uh, not guilt or shame them into it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, oftentimes when I think about the state of the world and, and when people will talk about, what about this, what about that, I often realize my, my life and my work is my answer to that question. I don't know why there's that and that. I don't know why that. I don't know how you, but I'm going to do this work and try to do my part. Mm -hmm. Bridge the gap. Like. Open people up a little bit, mm -hmm. heighten sensitivities. Maybe something gets stirred or something gets awoken, and who knows where it'll go from there. Um, your, your work is essentially the answer. Will you please tell the uh, 10,000 people gave money for the rig, <laughs> and then it crashes? Yeah. Well, we were just <laughs> talking about storytelling. I mean, I think... The, the unique thing that we are good at is storytelling. More so than design and branding or innovation or transparency. Charity Water for 12 years has just told a lot of stories. And, and that, we see stories everywhere. And you know, I was just, we were talking earlier, you know, an example of that, we crowdfunded a drilling rig uh, for Ethiopia 
call it six years ago, and 10,000 people gave an average of 100 bucks to fund a rig. And this thing was a million bucks. It was gorgeous. We painted it charity water yellow. We threw logos on it. We put the names of the people that donated on the rig, right? Very cool idea. We mounted a GPS unit on the rig, built a web map so people could see where the rig was at any given time. And then we gave the rig a Twitter account. So we're very proud of ourselves, right? We're kind of this whole crowdfund, Kickstarter rig, track it, paint it. And this thing was going to go out and drill 90 wells a year for 20 years. And I just love the idea of legacy. I mean, imagine your piece of a legacy. Give 20 bucks to a rig and your 20 bucks is going to drive around for 20 years and help people. Okay, so I find out four years later or so that our rig has crashed. So our <laughs> local partners have crashed our rig, run into the ditch. Apparently, Some guy the is wheels... driving this half million dollar? Million. Million dollar truck. Some guy crashes a million dollar vehicle. <laughs> and the wheels are up, and you know you just imagine this this like rig on its belly or on its back, right? Like you know, the, almost like the, the, the bug over. on the back, right? The 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 um, yeah. the legs flailing in the in the air. So I have a picture of this in my mind. Now our partners are just fixing the rig and they're going to put it back in operation. So this is a hiccup. Maybe it's going to take a month. Um, kind of like if you and I were to crash, you know, our parents' car, um, we would take it to the body shop first. Yep. We would pay for the full repair, and yep. then we would tell our parents, "Hey, Dad, I ran into a telephone pole, but I did the right thing. Fixed your car. Come look at it." It's just like new. Okay? Actually, did that in 1991. Okay, did the exact same. Did that? <laughs> yes, that's been so. Done. So that's what our local partners were doing. So, and then they would just continue to drill. So I hear of this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing storytelling opportunity. I try and send a camera crew to take pictures and even video of the rig on its back crashed, and my plan is to send it to the 10,000 people that paid for it. This is a nonprofit nightmare. No, this but is amazing. You, this, this is amazing. To me, this is the heart <laughs> of why it's the chair. You and Charity Water have what's happened through you has happened is this exact story because this is a nonprofit. Generally, this is a nightmare. People gave money and the vehicle crashed. You see this and get excited. Yeah, I can see the subject line. We crashed your rig. <laughs> the email opens and there's a picture of the beautiful yellow rig with its wheels up in the air, lying in a ditch. <laughs> and the story um, would be such an opportunity for me to speak to the challenges and to the tenacity of our local partners. And the copy would have gone something like this. Our partners don't drill wells by the highways. We don't take the easy way out. We're not drilling you know, next to the paved roads. We're trying to reach the most marginalized in need villages, and sometimes the roads aren't bad. Sometimes, sometimes the communities actually build the roads by sending people out with shovels and pitchforks. And you know what? It doesn't always go well. And in trying to reach one of these remote villages, we were miscalculated. The rig is crashed. We're fixing it. Just wanted you to know. And and I think the I think that would have resonated so deeply with people. A, the charity was honest with us. B stuff bad stuff has happened to us too right there's not another there's not a person on that uh, of of driving age who hasn't had some sort of fender bender or something gone like that in their lives and then three wow the passion and commitment of these guys not to take the easy way out and really take risks to serve people with clean water that's where i want my money going ah oh, i love it I didn't get a chance. They fixed it by the time I got there. Uh, so now all I get to do is tell the story I love <laughs> in the it. abstract. Okay, let's wrap up by um, telling people about the spring. So the spring was an answer to uh, our first bad year and an existential leadership crisis for me. We had eight years of consecutive up and to the right growth. And it felt even better because in, in some of those years, charitable giving was falling. So there was a three-year period of time when Charity Water was up 490%, and American giving was down 8% in the aggregate. Like So we're like, yeah, we're up 500%, giving's down 8%, Charity Water's working. People are responding to the 100% model, the values, the ideas. So we have eight years of growth. In year eight, we get a million human beings clean water 
in that year, in that calendar year. And it felt great. Um, it was 2,500 people a day or something like that. And in our ninth year, we cannot repeat the success. The market goes down. We had a couple major donors um, stop their, pause their giving. Uh, a lot of them had been giving appreciated stock and such. And we, we have our first down year. Not only can't we, it wasn't a flat year. It was a down year. Like we're down 25%. And we go from helping a million people get clean water to 800,000 people. So I take this very personally. I feel like I have let down 200,000 human beings in not being able to repeat the, at, at least repeat and grow on the success of the previous year. All we had ever known was eight years of growth. And I am prepared to step aside. I call my board, say, time for a professional CEO. You know, I've hit my ceiling. I'll stay with Charity Water, but I'll, I'll do speaking and fundraising and, you know, make me the chief water boy. You know, I'll, I'll play around at innovation, but let's hire a real leader, you know, a real CEO who can take this thing to the next level. And it was in the, the fourth quarter of that down year. The writing was on the wall. My, uh, my leadership team said, well, first of all, you can't do anything like this this year, especially not in fundraising season. It'd be distracting. Um, it'd make things even worse. And why don't you take January off because you're just probably burned out and see how you feel. And I took January off and I read about this in the book, but it was kind of a, the disaster sabbatical. Everything goes wrong. You know, we're given this glass house at the top of a cliff overlooking the most beautiful lake in California and it hails all month. Basically, the, the house was so high it had its own weather system. I was miserable by the end of that story. California <laughs> gets more yeah. water than like 25 years in, you know, the, the week that I'm trying, the couple weeks that I'm trying to recuperate. And I just, I just came back and said, hey, nobody likes quitters and it felt like a bad time to quit you got to finish 10 years right it was our i was we're starting our 10th year so you have to at least finish out the decade strong and and then you know do a really successful leadership transition and then let somebody else start the new decade well as i started thinking about it, i said well why don't i just stop whining about this and solve the problem what's the problem the problem is we're too big to start at zero every January 1. So that was amazing. We raised $45 million in our eighth year, but the ticker you know, goes from December 31st to zero on January 1. We gotta go do it all over again. And you know, I, I remember the online giving number. This, this just shows what it feels like. I think we did 280 grand online on December 31st and $2,000 on January 1. So you, you just fall off a cliff. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's like you've been taking the boulder, you know, up to the top of the mountain. Right, right, right. December 31st, you get it up to the top of the mountain, you get a million people yeah. clean water, and then you slip, and the thing, you know, flattens you, goes all the way to the bottom again, and the mountain just grew another 20%, or whatever you're trying to grow. Right? So now you start all over again. So the spring was the answer to that. And I said, well, if I look at the companies that I really respect these days... Um, look at a Netflix, look at a Spotify. They don't start at zero. They have a bunch of people supporting their products month in and month out. They actually have a loyal customer base. Now, sure, we're getting content or we're getting music or we're getting magazines, but the subscription model was just way more interesting. And the birthdays were great. You know, you did a, a, a fantastically successful birthday campaign, but you did one, right? And, and, yeah. And about 50,000 people did one birthday for Charity Water. So we would just have to keep finding new people every year, and it was exhausting. So the idea was, well, could we build you know, Netflix for pure good? Could we build a community of people so generous, the world had never seen anything like this before, where they would show up month in and month out giving what they could, right? $10 a month. $30 a month, which is what it costs to give one person clean water. $100 a month if people could afford it. You know, Maybe a business could give $500 a month on their corporate Amex. Could we create this community of people and we would deliver 100% of the money to people in need of clean water and then we would deliver stories of tangible impact to this community. So we launched it with a 20-minute film. People thought I was absolutely nuts. They're like, no one's going to watch a 20-minute film on Facebook. People don't even watch 20-second films these days. You What's know? it called, by the way? Because it's an amazing the film. The Spring. Yeah, the it's spring. gotten 10 million views now. On YouTube. It's on YouTube, Vimeo. Do The Spring Charity Water YouTube search. 
Yeah, and um, so we made this 20-minute film. We, we worked with the first outside person ever, Jason Russell, who'd started Invisible Children, who um, is just a great storyteller. And we, we put this story out there, and we just told people, here's what we've done in the first 10 years. Here's how big our vision is. Will you show up every month until the problem is solved, giving whatever you can? And the thing just took off. Uh, it just exploded now uh, over 100 countries you know, have members in the spring. And the average is actually $30. So we have people giving less, we have people giving more. But the, the average across um, now 30,000 people um, and, and growing, you know, quickly every day. And we just continue to invite people into this. So people Google Charity Water. just go to charitywater.org slash spring. It'll tell everything they need to know. Yeah, charitywater.org slash spring. And that's actually the greatest, you know, if there's any call to action, that's the greatest way that people can help is is to join that community, learn more about the issue. Yeah. Um, we're really trying to connect members. We have some ideas of connecting members with each other. Like, six people in Montana and yeah. 42 people in Iowa. Like, what if we could get them together? What if we could build it. community? Um, so that, that has now, uh, we came it. off the spring. We grew 40% last year. And at the mid-year, we're up another 40% this year. So it's working. So I now, love it. you know, we can... I love it. We're going to get a million and a half people clean water this year. Robcast Peoples, you know what to do here. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm a member. My wife's a member. I mean, You the, know the what to do. I love it. And the new book is called Thirst. I haven't said too much about it because you just need... It's just, you just got to enter in, and the less you know, the more you'll, I think, with that book. I mean, I knew the stories, and the book is very, very powerful, but I can only imagine somebody who hasn't heard any of this. Um, Thirst, available now, wherever fine books wherever fine are books. sold. You've, you've said that a few times in your life. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm so glad we met nine years, I think it was nine years ago, but most of all, you're not only still going... You not only survived this, but you're like f more filled with passion and hope and love than ever. And I have one quote here at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to finish with this. Uh, page 312 of the advanced preview copy of the book. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to read? I don't. You quote, there's an old rabbinic saying that I love. So I already love it. I already love that. Just, <laughs> just the fact that I said it all. <laughs> but Scott writes this. Uh, there's an old rabbinic saying that I love. Do not be afraid of work that has no end. And then he says, that's how I've come to see this journey. If your work is in the service of others, if you are compassionately pursuing an end to the suffering of people less fortunate than you, then your work will never, will simply never end. The idea of endless work used to scare me, but not anymore. Now... It inspires me. I don't even know what to say. Let's end there. Thank you for coming to the back house. Thanks for having me back. In Los Angeles. I'm a huge fan. And um, I'm just cheering you on. Good to see you. And I hope this podcast episode introduces all sorts of people to what you're doing. Grace and peace, my friends. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Rob.